Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 20 of the Aviation Spotter Podcast. I am your host, Colin Moser. Guys, I hope you enjoyed last week's discussion with uh, Pete Schneider. What a wealth of stories that guy has, and just his amazing stories in Switzerland at Axalp. And I really hope you guys enjoyed listening to him. He has been supporting me since day one. He's given me a lot of feedback on how to improve this podcast. And thank you, Pete, for coming on. I thank you so much for taking the time uh, with your kids to come on the show and talk with me here on the Aviation Spotters podcast. Well... As I promised you guys last week, we have quite a big guest for episode 20. Um, for just a kind of a, a little brief overview on who this is, if you don't know already with the title, um, my guest this week has been published with his photos in not just magazines, but major news networks such as CNN, Fox News, NBC, and Good Morning America. You guys have also might have seen his photos when Southwest Airlines shared his absolutely stunning of Captain Ted Orsted's last flight in a Southwest 737 departing from Raleigh-Durham. He was in a helicopter above Captain Orsted's final departure out of Raleigh-Durham. And I know all you guys have seen his amazing air-to-ground photography. So it is my honor to welcome on to episode 20 of the Aviation Spotters podcast from Washington, D.C., Mr. Ryan Patterson. Ryan, good evening. How are you doing? Good evening. I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I cannot thank you enough for agreeing to do this with me. Um, a lot of people actually have, rec- believe it or not, have actually come and emailed me and messaged me trying to get you on the show and I think you have a, an amazing story, some, and not just an amazing story to tell, but obviously some amazing stories to tell. But I think it'll be nice to have the listener get to know you a little more on a, on a, on a personal level. So Yeah, definitely. Um, thank you again for coming on. But uh, let's get to know you a little bit. So where are you from and how you got into aviation photography and, and just aviation in general? Yeah, so I uh, was born, I'm uh, 21 years old, so born in 1999 in uh, San Francisco, California, just south of San Francisco. Um, I've been into aviation for really as long as I can remember. My family um, was always big into traveling, and when I was little, my parents... My dad in particular would take me up to San Francisco um, and we'd sit at Bayfront Park for hours just watching the airplanes, watching the United 747s come and go on their Asia runs. And that's really what got me into aviation photography. Um, My dad had a camera, it wasn't anything fancy. Um, and we used to take pictures, and then my um, my grandfather, my grandmother, unfortunately passed away when I was um, when I was six years old, and she had a little two megapixel point and shoot camera um, that she left for me, and um, I, that's where the uh, the aviation photography started, and I I think we had it was a a twenty. Um, a 20 slot card so with two megapixel photos I mean it was a tiny tiny memory card but I would take 20 20 or so photos and um, on my trips and stuff and um, and save them and uh, yeah that's that's where the aviation photography started and then when I was 13 I um, I got my first camera for my birthday and uh, I guess the story from there kind of tells itself that's that's awesome how your grandmother left you that camera. I think she knew that one day you would you would make it big and you would be doing great things, and she is absolutely right about that. Real quick, you know, we mentioned the air to ground stuff, so let's just jump into that real quick. So, what made you want to get into the air to ground stuff and like sitting in the helicopters and stuff and and doing getting a different perspective on taking uh, photos like that? Yeah, so when I was um, probably 15, I, I started looking at the photos on um, on Airliners Net. I really didn't find anyone else um, when I was when I was younger that enjoyed aviation in the same way I did. And so when I started um, getting into the internet a little bit more, having more access to it, I started looking at pages like Airliners Net um, and photos um, f- from photographers like um, like Sam Chewy, uh, just. Uh, 
they they captured me and I, I fell in love with the aerial perspective um, and inspired me to go out and take my own. And I, I tried when I was 16, so it was 2016, um, my dad and I uh, decided to go out to LAX and do the um, do the star helicopters helicopter flight over LAX and I absolutely fell in love with it and I, I knew there was something special there and it was I felt so natural in the air that the photos came out exactly how I, I wanted them to um, and it, it kind of stayed stagnant for a while I went back to LAX I think the next year since I, I just loved it so much um, and started saving my money. I worked a summer job as a uh, as a um, lifeguard at the local pool, and all my money that summer went to doing one more helicopter. And it kind of just it kind of built on itself from there. Awesome, and obviously it's it's turned into something amazing. I think that LAX helicopter step is on a on a bucket list for a lot of other people. But you see, you've done multiple things not just at lax but see like raleigh durham and a lot of other oddball airports where you wouldn't think the one that i think of and i think that the first photo i've i really saw from you is the one in uh i'm probably gonna butchers but uh, uh tipulo tipulo uh mississippi uh, tipulo, yep with the united 747s and that's one of my favorite photos you've ever taken this because they had the united had that event the um what was it it was the night with the queens or whatever uh, it was the yeah the um, dinner under the seven forty seven. Yeah, and that was and just just seeing those aircraft like that, and I had a completely different perspective. And you were in a helicopter for that, or were you using a drone? Yeah, so we actually got a, a drone approved for that. So that was um, funny enough. That was my first ever professional job, and that was kind of where things started really steamrolling. Um, I'd been into aerial photography for about a year and a half at that point. Um, I'd done, I think, three helicopters, and all of them had been at LAX. And um, United had invited me to be their photographer. We had talked about doing a shoot together for a long time, and. Um, they invited me to do a shoot. It was not paid or anything, but it was my first professional shoot where we signed a contract and everything. And um, yeah, they, they invited me over, which was a special event for me because it was saying goodbye to the 747s, which I, I sadly wasn't able to get on the very last flight um, due to being in school. But um, being able to say goodbye to the 747s under the under the wing, um, eating dinner and stuff, and then um, getting permission to fly the drone, which took a lot of work you know as you can imagine flying a drone in an airport it's not something you can just walk up and do you gotta get FAA permission we got to talk to the board of the airport and then have to go to the drone manufacturer to make sure that it was okay to do um, which which took a lot of work but I think the photos uh, the photos came out really really well well they came out amazingly I mean when people hear you your name or your handle or whatever people talk about are your are those drone shots because I didn't realize you had to go through the drone manufacturer to even get permission to do that. Yeah, yeah. So we had to go through DJI and get the. Um, they have a safe lock, which is a really great mechanism. So not anyone can fly the drone at the airport, which I I totally support, and it, it adds another layer of, layer of protection. Um, but it also makes it more difficult to get an unlock. So we had to prove to them um, with written consent that we were flying the drone safely at the airport and that someone would be with me at all times to make sure we were uh, acting safely. Interesting. Well, that's very cool. So that, that is a good thing to know that just some random can't bring a, a drone to LAX and fly it on the flight line then. That's, that's good to know. Very good to know. But man, that, that's awesome. I mean, that I was actually... I flew down to San Francisco, like my listeners know about the story, but I flew down to San Francisco in 2017 to be a part of the last flight. I wasn't able to get on the aircraft itself, unfortunately, uh, but one of our really good family friends who's a 35-year flight attendant now for United uh, just got up a red eye, so she was kind of walking me around and stuff like that. And I mean, I'm assuming, you know, you being born in the Bay Area and San Francisco specifically, you already kind of have a very special place in the heart for the 747, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say yeah, I I love the love the seven forty seven. It's it's definitely my favorite. It holds a special place. So it was sad to see her depart, but it was cool to be able to say goodbye. That's for sure. That was my first time ever spotting an SFO that day, and I think I picked the right day to do it. Oh, being um, being able to say goodbye to the queen, it does not get better than that. No, and I was actually at the factory up in Payne Field uh, in the, in December two thousand seventeen for the Delta one. 
Uh, I had my friend of I, my friend of mine uh, who's actually on the show, uh, Jeremy Dwyer Lindgren, was on that flight. Uh, he flew from Detroit to Payne Field. Like they flew the seven four seven back into the factory where it was born, which is absolutely unheard of to do. Uh, they all get off and then they all get back. They do the factory tour, get on the airplane, and then they have a ferry flight to Seattle. Everybody thought it was going to go over to the Olympic Peninsula, be a nice scenic flight. No, they just went direct. And that was really cool to be a part of both Farewell 747s mm-hmm. and to see a Delta 47 oh. land back at Payne Field, the returning home one last time. And that was, I think that was, you know, that at the time, that was the last 747 in civil service in the United States. We, mainline passenger service, excluding Giant, or sorry, not Giant, Atlas. Um so I'm assuming then uh, you 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 consider San Francisco your home airport then? Definitely, and unfortunately, I did actually move away shortly after the 747 retired sophomore year of high school. I moved on to Omaha, Nebraska, um, for my dad's oh. work. But uh, but yeah, no, the San Francisco holds a special place in my heart, and every time I go back there, it's it just doesn't seem right without the 747s. Yeah, especially like British Airways now retiring theirs and Lufthansa grounding theirs for the time being it's it sucks it 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 really does suck so you've been spot so you've been taking aviation photos since 2013 so and use a little point shoot camera so let's let's talk about cameras then real quick so we we know you you said you're you used your grandmother's uh little two megapixel point shoot so what have you used up to now or kind of up to now like kind of what's been the what's been the progression of that yeah, so I had a little two megapixel point and shoot can- Canon camera, and I got that one in two thousand six. Um, and then um, that one, it's <laughs> it did stop working uh, probably around two thousand ten. And um, I, I would use my dad's camera if he and he had a DSLR camera, just a basic one. And then we got my first camera was a Nikon D three one hundred. Had to stick with the Nikon that my dad had so we could share lenses and stuff. <laughs> and then in twenty fifteen, I got a I upgraded to the D seven two hundred. And then I realized start with um, doing aerial photography that I needed something with a little bit of a bigger sensor. So I moved up to the D810. And then when the D810 came out, I moved up to the D850. Um, so I've kind of gone through a couple, the whole Nikon line right there. But now I now I shoot with um, with two Nikon D850s. And it's a little bit weird that not many photographers have two of the exact same cameras, but it's important in the helicopter that I have two of the exact same cameras. Um, I, I use, I take advantage of every single megapixel on the D850, which it has 47 of, which is yeah, awesome yeah. for aerial photography. So I can Gantulin, yeah. crop the heck out of, uh, out of some of the images that I, uh, that I post. Um, but yeah, so I, with the D850, I, I take two, two eight, D850s, and so I can use them interchangeably um, and with cropping and stuff. It, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting that you use two full frame cameras because a lot of people that you know they not necessarily like air to ground like you, but like the air to air stuff, they'll mainly have the crop body on them. Uh, so that's very interesting that you use two of the same full frame cameras. Uh, yeah, so I uh, yeah I just use two of this. Um, two of the same full frames just to be able to get the little bit of extra distance and I, I have thought about using a crop sensor but I just haven't found the one that I've liked um, and I got a really great um, a really great uh, offer on a used D850 uh, which one I did purchase new and one that I did get used so it, it just made sense to go with the double D850 and then I can use them interchangeably as well which makes a big difference I don't have to think when picking the other one up um, or think about it when um, switching lenses because switching lenses in the helicopter is a challenging ordeal and it's possible to do but it, it takes a little bit of extra coordination and a little bit extra stress but um when i'm um when i'm up in the helicopter i like to be able to just switch in between them super fast so it makes it definitely makes a big difference i i agree with that i really do and i understand that completely but speaking of lenses you know what what lenses are you currently using have you used in the past 
Yeah, so um, I really started with the Tamron. I believe it was the 18 to 300, and I know I saved up for that one um, after my birthday after using some of um, just the basic Nikon kit camera lenses. And so that was my first spotting lens, I think, that I started using when I was uh, when I was 13. And then I moved up to the Tamron 150 to 600, which I actually used through last year. Awesome lens, totally recommend it. Um, but I needed something with a little bit more um, a, l- a little bit more sharpness um, as I moved up with the D850 and had a full frame, um, and so I moved up to the um, the Nikon uh, 200 to 400 f/4, which is <laughs> which is my baby now, and I-, I love the lens more than anything. It's a beautiful lens, and I also got a great deal on it um, uh, as a used lens, and so that's been my main lens. And then I also use a 70 to 200 f 2.8, and that's usually the lens that I use for um, the straight down shots. And then I also have a 14 to 24 f 2.8, and I usually use those for wing views and such. And then um, I also have a 50 millimeter, um, a nifty 50, because you always got to have a nifty 50. Always got to have the nifty 50, yeah. <laughs> I got one of my bag. So that's that's pretty cool. So you use a, a wide variety of lenses with two of the actually probably with the highest non mirrorless uh, uh, bodies. I believe they're yeah not yeah those are the largest uh, sensor or megapixel bodies that aren't mirrorless. I believe. Yep, that is correct. Yeah. Obviously, you you take these amazing shots. Just off, off tangible, quick, kind of back to the air to ground stuff as you brought up is for you or how important for you is to get that angle right. Like, what is your favorite angle when you're when you're doing this stuff? Because you, uh, we, a lot of people have seen like the like the straight top down, you know, and then like there's those epic onto the sounds like Captain Orsted's flight. You know what? Like, what for you? Would, like what angles for you like really get you going and like make you like holy crap like that was a really good string of shots <laughs> so i would definitely say the top down shots of planes in the air is my favorite um oh gosh um so that really started um in uh, it started at lax when i would fly over the terminals i i I would just love taking the the top downs of. Um, I think my first one was an A380, an Air France A380. I believe that, or a Lufthansa A380. I can't remember exactly. But then last summer in Anchorage, I um, planned out with ATC to be able to fly over the runway with an airplane coming in under us. And so we worked with ATC. We worked with the pilot beforehand, um, to make sure that he was comfortable with what we were doing. And we lined up perfectly so that planes would fly right under us. And we had to make sure it was okay with the pilots. Um, and we chose 2,200 feet, um, AGL to make sure that, um, we weren't interfering with any, any operations. So if the plane had to go around, um, we that we had they had ample space which planes have gone uh, around there has been one um, that had to go around and it just went straight under us and we were no factor and they knew we were there um, but yeah going back to the favorite my favorite is definitely the air to ground and I think my specifically there's a FedEx MD11 and a um, a UPS MD11 and a Atlas 747 that were just my favorite and they were from Anchorage but um, it doing the straight down of the plane's landing that takes a little bit more coordination and we have to make sure um, air traffic control is not busy or I have to know the controller personally that makes sure we they're comfortable with what we're doing and they know beforehand. That's usually not something that we can set up um, a few days before. That's usually a long time before with a, with a, a built up relationship to make sure that air traffic controllers are comfortable with what we're doing. So, yeah. Yeah, it does. It doesn't sound like you just show up at the helicopter and call it good. And that, that's a lot, <laughs> a lot of work. I mean, it's definitely, definitely. I mean, I, a lot of those shots, like, man, I'm surprised you able to get that. But after listening to that, that that is really that makes a lot of sense now. As you take the time to let's coordinate, let's make sure everybody's good. You know, if this feels uncomfortable, let's let's call it off. We're, we're not going to do this. So I, that that's really awesome. They take the time to really set it up and make sure that everybody does feel comfortable. And I mean, if they say no, I mean, if they say no, that's the worst they can say. But I mean, it's, it's been working out for you fantastically. Um, 
that's that's pretty awesome to, to hear to hear that um, that you do take the time to make sure everybody's going to do it safely. And in aviation, people that don't know or, or really aren't like working for an airline or anything like that, that is the number one thing is safety of people and the aircraft and the passenger. And so I'm really glad you do take that very very seriously. Definitely, yeah. There was there was actually a point. Um, where I, um, an air traffic controller wasn't comfortable with it, one of the supervisors um, at an airport, and um, he called me after. He was very upset with what we were doing, and it wasn't even a top-down shot. He was incredibly upset, and um, I, I had a friend, I had a follower who had reached out from the FAA, um, and we had them do an audit of, um, of all my work um, to make sure that we weren't breaking any rules and um, we made sure that we were not breaking any rules um, and he came back to me saying that nope, no rules were broken, that everything you do is safe even um, and of course lots of people like to say that it, the top downs are unsafe especially flying over the runway um, but they're so well coordinated that I'd like to think they are completely safe and um, the FAA did agree with us there so yeah, it does, um, the helicopter do take a lot of work to set up but I definitely pride myself in doing it the safe way and making sure that safety comes first at all times awesome that's great to hear and hey I got the FAA on your side so you can you know, I have the FAA card you can pull exactly exactly <laughs> that is the top card like hey I don't care about your opinion I have the FAA on my side and that is the end all be all right there Exactly. So that's pretty cool, man. That's that's awesome. Um, so let's 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 move it on a little bit, dude. Um, let's talk about your let's talk, you know let's talk about the uh, let's talk about your favorite airport to go to. So besides San Francisco, which is your home airport, which we all can agree on, if you play by the rules at SFO, it's a great <laughs> airport to go to. So besides SFO, what are other airports have you enjoyed going to? Not just to do your air to ground stuff, but just general outside the fence stuff. Yeah, um, obviously LAX is one of the coolest airports in the world. There's airplanes going everywhere on Earth from that airport, and it's just so busy that it's it's there's airplanes moving every twenty seconds, um, and they're all heavies. So that's uh, that's one of my favorites. I think scenically Anchorage was definitely my favorite. It's just so beautiful the air is so clean it, it stays really cool up there so even s shooting a summer midday shoot um the the light was not too intense and then um you didn't have to worry about a lot of heat haze which was super sweet um jfk and newark are other two cool really cool airports um that i've been to and then um, louisville was also another really cool one that i was able to uh able to visit so um and then internationally obviously heathrow um i have not been there since they retired the 747s but that was a really cool one and then um back in the summer i got to visit roswell and um there was i think 500 airplanes there at that point and oh it was God. A humbling experience to say the least but getting just to walk around them and feel the scale of something that you can't see you can't see COVID-19 but you can sure see the effects of it so seeing COVID-19 and, and the effects of COVID-19 on the airline industry just being able to visualize that a little bit better um, and, and photographing it to help other people do the same was a humbling experience but it was also one of the coolest experiences that I've ever been able to go to so um, and then, yeah, internationally, um, Sydney, Sydney, and uh, London are two of my favorites to uh, go to. Just scenically beautiful airports. Do you remember seeing the uh, air to the air to air stuff that the helicopter did with the Qantas seven four seven? It's like its final like scenic takeoff. Oh man, that was beautiful. That was. That was and um, I'm blanking on the photographer's name. Tim Bowery, I believe it is. Tim Bowery, yeah. But they also dealt. It's not uh, Tim, and also they actually did like an actual like like TV station, like did it perfectly. Yeah. They were in the helicopter, like with the video just perfectly going along with it. I'm like, that is the greatest 747 air to air to air footage of all time right there. Like hands and down, actually, hands down. Funny story. I was on the other side of that. I was in Los Angeles and we were supposed to catch it. I think it was an 8 a.m. arrival and they did all the tour around Sydney and then they also drew a 747, I think, in the sky or a kangaroo. Yeah, uh, the kangaroo. The kangaroo off the yeah. coast. Yeah, and then... Um, Everybody thought it was diverting back to Sydney. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so we were. I was... 
I was really worried that it was diverting as well um, and that it was drawing a kangaroo. And the weather was actually terrible that morning in Los Angeles and we couldn't take off in the helicopter to catch its final landings. I was there for its final landing and takeoff with um, with Airways Magazine and um, we were, we were, we were deathly worried that we weren't going to get this, we get this shoot in. And luckily the, um, they did all the, um, the, the diversions and stuff and running around, um, Australia and it was late coming into Los Angeles and we were able to get it perfectly. Um, not, well, I guess not perfectly. It was still a little bit cloudy, but we were able to actually take off and get pictures of it. So <laughs> funny story about that, but yeah, they've been extra thankful that it, uh, ended up, uh, doing all the extra curriculars. I, I had the pleasure of spotting uh, uh, actually only one Qantas 747 in my life, and that was uh, my only trip to LAX in 2015. Um, perfectly golden hour light coming in. Coming in. Oh. That was that was it had it, it was it had the, uh, the the RB211s on it too. So like that was I, I very do much cherish that photo, and I got and I really didn't understand night photography at that point, but. You know how the Australian uh, airlines will go to remote their aircraft at a hard stand and they'll move them into the middle of the night back to the uh, the Tibet. Yep. So I had I have a photo of the Qantas sound It's a little it's a little bit blurry, but the but they were, they were pushing it out and towing it to the remote, and I got a really good head on angle with the sunset behind it. Oh, it wow. out. And doesn't was, get better so than like, that. I cherish that photo a lot just because of now the significance of that photo. Oh, definitely. Um, it's also you're not a true app geek until you spot it at LAX. <laughs> Agreed with but that. Talk about the Roswell stuff, and not just the Roswell, but you also went to Victorville to photograph not just a retired aircraft, but the aircraft that were sent to storage for COVID. I'm as an airline employee, I walked around the Boise Airport in April, actually spring break time, at between 1:30 and 2 p.m., and I was the relatively only person in the terminal. There were no passengers. There were no. There was nothing, um, and it was so eerie to do that. Just be the only person up there during the busiest scheduled time of the year, besides Christmas and Thanksgiving. So, what you did to do those photos for you? What was it like to see not just a retired aircraft on one side, but just lines and lines of aircraft that are ready to be put back in service. What was that like for you to do that? Oh man, that was, having not traveled at all, I, I didn't do any traveling. I, I went back to Omaha, which was my home at the time. Um, and um, I went back to Omaha for quarantine, which ended up being um, March, April, and half of May for me. Um, and before I, I moved down with my dad in Atlanta, um, it was a humbling experience. So I, I did my first helicopter of stored airplanes, um, my first shooting of stored airplanes in Kansas City, and I did a helicopter above there. And it was a cloudy day, so we couldn't see it approaching. And it was a humbling experience seeing, what was it, like 60 airplanes just in a row. And there was, I think, more than 100 on the airfield that day. It was a humbling experience. and. I, I know for a lot of people, um, it's it's hard to see. As I mentioned, it's hard to see COVID. Um, it's it's not a virus you can see. You can't you can't see it. Um, so a lot of people have trouble visualizing things um, with it. And I think for me, coming to terms with it and what was going on, being able to capture it in aviation and being able to share it and show the effects of what was going on. Um, I don't know, I guess helped me sort of deal with what was going on and hopefully helped others deal with what was going on too. So I did a, a big series of stored airplanes and while I was really sad to see them, I felt like it was really important that um, everyone, the world sees these photos and what was going on in the airline industry and how badly it was hurting. So I, I think I did Kansas City, Roswell, um, <clears throat> I did Marana, Victorville and um, Mojave didn't have any stored airplanes, I don't believe, um, but Mojave as well, and that's where a lot of the 747s were retired to, including the Qantas 747. So it was, it was a humbling experience that um, I'm glad I was able to share, but it was it definitely evoked emotion. You, you, you said that really well, as you can't visualize COVID, and us in the airline industry, we, we did. 
not just with the profits that were lost, but with the aircraft that were grounded. The, the uh, TSA did like a little comparison between 2019 and 2020. The year prior in 2019, they screened like 2.5 million passengers. That day, they screened 86,000 passengers. Just to put it in perspective, this is unprecedented for the airline industry. The, we, the airline industry has never grounded fleets of aircraft. Like this was, for geeks like us, this killed the 747. Yep. This is like, there are very few airlines that will fly to 747 uh, passenger. And cargo wise, this was a rebirth for the 747 for cargo. Um, but for passengers, it's little to done. But your photos, not just in Ro but Roswell, Victorville, whatever, it really rang home to a lot of people like, this is a big deal. Um, and those photos, I think, were some of, like, they're not just my favorites, but I think those are some of the most important photos you've taken. And in the aviation industry, those might be some of the most important photos that were taken in the whole of the aviation industry during that time. Um, so, I mean, I really do commend you for doing that and actually wanting to go out and make these photos known and document these because, you know, people in maybe 10 or 20 years are going to be asking people like, you know, people that were around, you know, what was it like during that? And you could say, well, this is what I, this is what it was like for the airlines. And, and you see the amounts of aircraft that were completely just, you know, stored and there, and a lot of them are still stored to this day right now. They're not, they're, you know, been stored for over a year now. And it doesn't, it takes a long time to get an aircraft back up to service. I don't think people realize there's a lot of stuff that has to go back on to get these planes back up in the air. So, but I really do commend you for, for taking the time to do that and to really do document, uh, document those aircraft that the way they are and, 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 and that were in that state. But anyway, let's uh, before we get really depressed and gloomy about COVID, <laughs> let's uh, let's let's move on, dude. So we talked about your favorite airports to go to, um, but let's you know this question is very similar. So, what is your favorite airplane to spot, and is it the same as your favorite airplane itself? Yeah, I I would say it is. Um, I love the seven forty seven, and I I we, we touched on it before, but yeah, the seven forty seven is becoming more. Uh, rare and rare every day. I was lucky enough to be able to do a helicopter in Sydney um, and catch some Qantas 747s and then um, catch the last one at LAX. And then going to Anchorage was really cool to being able to see so many cargo 747s with eight or 10 being on the ramp at the same time. It was like unfathomable. I had never seen so many 747s at one place before. Um, but yeah, definitely the 747. It's just a unique unique feel to the 747 with the upper deck um and four engines it's just a special plane to spot it really is um and i'm assuming that also is your favorite aircraft of all time as well as the 747 <laughs> yeah um like i said man every, i think everybody in season two except for like one or two people has said the 747 isn't their favorite but i mean like are you not going to spot a seven four seven if it comes to it comes to your local airport? I mean, I mean, oh, you have to spot the seven four seven if you caught if it comes <laughs> to your local airport. That's like a rule, AV Geek yeah. rule one hundred and one. Yeah, exactly. Av Geek, Av Geek pilgrimage, LAX. LAX rule number one: <laughs> spot the seven four seven. I mean, that's <laughs> nice. But uh, the, our uh, Idaho Air Guard deployed uh, earlier in the year, um, April May. We had four seven four sevens come in. And I know some of like one came in like in the dead of night, the part in the dead of night. I still went out there to go see a flower of my head. I'm like, you know, especially with Boise is the only time we'll get big traffic is when there's a, when the guard is, is gearing up for a deployment. And we had four 747s come in and then we had three C5s come in. And it's just like, this is awesome. Like, you know, first of all, this is just to, I don't care if it's an all white 747. Any 747 is special. I love, it's just like anytime there's like a big heavy airplane coming in, actually United sent in a triple seven, 300. Um, that was really cool to, uh, to see, um, when the guard came home, that was, I think the first visit of a triple seven, 300 since Boeing sent their test aircraft in here all those years ago. Um, that was cool. I got some pretty cool access for the departure of that, which I can't, I'm not going to talk about, but that was really cool. That was super cool to do. Um, Yeah. So the 747, you know, being just a queen of the skies, a beautiful aircraft in general, and plus you growing up in San Francisco, just that was 747 heaven. 
Um, did you did you ever get a, a photo of any of the seven four seven classics, like the two hundreds, uh, at all? Um, so I do have a few. Um, obviously from the Boneyard, I went to go visit them in Mojave, and there's quite a number of seven four seven classics there. And I do have one photograph of a Kalita seven four seven two hundred at LAX, uh, one of my first aerial photo shoots. I think it was in twenty sixteen, and I did get to see that one classic, but I I believe that's my only photo of a classic, of an active classic, um, with the other ones all being uh, stored in the boneyard, unfortunately. Have we got any of the uh, Sans SPs? I have not. That is one thing on my bucket list. Hopefully, uh, Los Angeles, uh, Las Vegas helicopter, sorry, um, is in the cards for this year when traffic returns there a little bit more. So, hopefully, we'll be getting a Sans, uh, Sans seven four seven SP at some point. I would kill to get that's my that's my unicorn aircraft is, is the SP. Um, Maybe we had to go down there together and do that. I don't know. You heard it here, people. <laughs> and on Avisp episode twenty, you guys heard it here. I accept your invitation. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it, dude. But I do like it's like I said, back to LAX in two thousand fifteen. This is when Colada was still running the seven four seven two hundred, like right at sunrise to Honolulu. And I don't, I, I don't, I didn't have the car. I was with the, I was with a friend of mine, and it was like taking off at perfect goal, like perfect morning hours, like right by the Imperial Hill. And my friend didn't want to wake up for it. And I'm so angry because he never woke up for it in that. And then, like, a couple of weeks later, they retired. They retired the classic. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. But it's, but it's made up for it because, you know, I'm a big DC-10 fan. I love the DC-10. And the 10 Tanker sometimes will bring their DC-10s in the, into Boise for fire season, especially for, like, fire um, uh, inspections and all that. And I have actually been honored enough to go on to the actual uh, tanker line and gone up in the 747, and not the 747, uh, the DC-10s and seeing the DC-10s. And these are unconverted DC-10s. So they saw the flood engineer and the steam gauges and all that. That was, it's, you can't be at a classic airliner. Like 727s, uh, if a 727 comes into Boise tomorrow, I will get out of my way. Well, the, the 727 is the aircraft that got me into um, aviation. Uh, the story behind that, a real quick uh, story, is uh, in 19, was it 2001 or 2002, uh, we, it was me and my dad, we took we, we flew from Boise to Minneapolis on Northwest Airlines, and then uh, on their new at the time, A320s. And then we went... Um, MSP to Toronto. Uh, we usually flew the either the DC-9s or the 727s out of the D-Gates in Minneapolis. I still remember this very well. There was a photo of me in the cockpit in Toronto uh, sitting in the cockpit of a 727. And um, that, that and this, the 727 for me has always been just that aircraft with the S-duct and the T-tail and you know, it's just been that aircraft. So we've luckily got, we've got Air Horse 1 in Boise a few times and I've I, I don't care how many photos I have that aircraft. If it comes in, I'll be out there immediately tomorrow <laughs> to go get it. You can never take too many pictures of a classic. You can't, especially right now when it's they're just getting so... Okay, I say that the DC-9 will go on forever. Like, the oldest DC-9 is like 54 years old and she's still going. Yeah, like Maristar, they, they got those things running. They'll be running for another 50 years. Which, and also, I, I believe that the MD-80s, like the early MD-80s, also like parts interchangeability too. So, so you know, <laughs> with American and Delta, MD-80s sitting out there, I think there might be a couple parts, spare parts lying around for her anyway. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just kind of cool. Like, you know, the moral of the story is if there's a classic airliner, go get them. They're not going around forever and you will regret it. It's like, we it was like the 737NGs. It's like, oh, it's an NG, and like maybe in like 40, like, you know, 20, 30 years, we're going to be like, oh my gosh, it's a 737 NG, and we're going to go out and try and get it. Anyway, let's move it on to, so we talked about 747s, bam, but uh, do you have a least favorite aircraft to take a photo of, or, or as like you said earlier, like every frame counts? 
I, you know, I think every frame counts. I, I take pictures of every plane that I see, especially in the helicopter and stuff. You never know where you need the photo again, um, if the registration becomes special, um, if there's a pilot flying that ends up con contacting you. I've, I've had couple, a, a few, um, a few uh, pilots reach out and they were flying and I just, I didn't take a picture of them. So even when CRJ 200s, I try to take as many pictures of, of them as possible because you never know when you're going to make a pilot's day when you're able to capture his photo. So I don't, I definitely don't have a least favorite airplane capture everything we can. Luckily we have digital cameras. So 256 gigabyte cards, you can take as many photos as you'd like. That is very true. And also, it also it would help you out too to kind of get the settings just right to make that perfect shot as well. Definitely. That's so a lot of people have been coming on saying you know every frame counts because like like the episode with Jordan Aaron, he said the exact same thing. He spots at Boeing Field, and we got a lot of uh, business traffic up at Boeing Field, and he's that same way. He's like you never know who that business jet guy is going to come in, and you're trying new things, and one day he might reach out to you saying, "Hey, I do have a photo," or "No." Oh, no, I don't. I'm sorry. And then it kind of bums them out. So it definitely for you is, you know, if you're in a helicopter, you don't have a lot of time. You need to make every shot count. You got to make those settings while you can to get the next big shot. Exactly. So yeah, cool. Cool, cool. What about the rarest aircraft you've ever taken a photo of? Rarest airplane I've ever taken a photo of. Hmm. I have a couple pictures of DC-3s. Oh, I guess I, I probably have it. Um, when I was at a funny story, when I was in Miami, we took pictures of every single Boeing airplane ever made, except for the one that's, a, I guess you can call it a fake Boeing, the 717. So this is seeing the 707, um, we got to see an Omega Tanker 707, which frustratingly took off about 30 minutes after we landed in the helicopter, which would have been, oh, oh, it would have been perfect. But, you know, you can't capture everything. But I got a straight down um, shot of that. I don't think I've posted yet. Um, but, yeah, probably the 707. That has to be the rarest airplane I got. And I, I don't think there's many. Um, there's many out there with the original JT3D engines still on them, and um, that Omega tanker did have um, did have its uh, J original JT3D engines on it. So I wish I would have been able to capture that one air to air. That would have been super sweet. But I got a, um, a pretty special picture of it from the top down, and I I think that would uh, go down as one of my rarest. I've also gotten pictures of um, some Convair 880s. But those were in the boneyard, so I'm not sure those count as uh, as active airplanes. So they they're very while they are very rare. Um, I guess they weren't as special to capture as the, an active 707. Yeah, the active 707, just hands down. You, I guess the 707. It's, it's yeah, 50, over 50 years old. So yeah, easy uh, easy the rarest airplane yeah. that I've captured. Yeah, yeah, the Omega one has teased me a couple times. It flies out of Fallon to support uh, Top Gun out of Fallon, and it's gone to the range. It's actually gone to the mountain home range one south of where I live, and it's circled in there, and I'm going like, should I get my camera ready? ready. <laughs> stay home? Waiting but, for man, it. I've actually seen one of them, one of the two, believe it or not. Um, I was I actually got my only helicopter thing that I've done is I've got to go. I was up in helicopter on July 15th, 2016. If you know that date, you know the story I'm about to tell. If you don't know the date, that's the day Boeing celebrated their 100th anniversary. I flew up from Boise that day, and a spur-of-the-moment thing, my buddies and I, we got a helicopter, and we shot the Boeing flight line 7-0 through 7-8. All in the line. So we like we had Omega 7-8, Delta 717, the United 727, they restored, flew down there, parked her, and then towed her back out on the line, 727. The Alaska 100-year strong, 737. A Cathay Pacific, 747-8. A United 757-200, which they flew from Roswell, up there just for the event, and then flew it back and then scrapped it. <laughs> A brand new FedEx 767. A brand new Emirates 777-300ER. And then, this is really cool. This was an ANA 747, sorry, not ANA 747, ANA 787-9-9, and that was the Boeing Farnborough aircraft for that year. 
So what's really cool is um, they actually only had the line up for, ooh, got a couple hours, and then they broke the line because they had to get the 747 back to Payne because its customer flight was the next day for Cathay Pacific. And then wow. They had to get, yeah, so the line was only up for a amount of time, and man, I don't, it's, uh, that's one of, it's, that was my, one of my, that's, if not the, my best spotting day ever, just because I was. Oh, easy. Not just being in the helicopter with some good friends, but just seeing everybody out there, just, just giddy and like school kids and like, you know, holy crap, you know, like the one, the running joke is, is they probably had to go dust off that 707 tow bar because it hasn't been used in years. Oh, easily. <laughs> that was so cool to do. And I still, ch- that was it just the, the people there that day made it worth it. Um, and that 747 departure is right at sunset too. It was, you can get, you can ask for a better 747 departure. Um, and then they flew that freaking 757 back to be scrapped. It's like, dang, keep it at the, keep it at the museum. <laughs> Uh, but that was that was like my only uh, helicopter experience, and it was just absolutely amazing to do. But yeah, that 707, dude, I agree, is epic. And if you think about it too, look at the Air Force, the Air Force 707s. Uh, the only the ones with the well, the TF 33s, the military version, is the uh, E8 J Stars, which is based out of somewhere in Georgia. Sorry, I don't know the actual base. Don't don't come after me, listeners. Um, and then the Century still has the oh, and the OC one thirty five, which is the Open Skies one thirty five, and then I think a Weather one. But they still have the TF thirty three as a military version. But you know those KC one thirty fives are built in the fifties and the early sixties. They're also going to go. They're those are going to go on forever and ever. So the seven oh seven. If you think about it too, the seven oh seven air the the actual airframe itself is still being used today in the seven thirty seven. It's the same cockpit dimensions. As a 707, a 737. So, you know, technically the 70 still does live today in the 737. I didn't realize that. That's actually really cool. Yeah, if you think about it, so, so the thing about this, if you look at just a regular, like, cockpit view, take a 707 with a 727 and a 737. And you could use a Max or an NG or a Classic or whatever. But if you look at those, the cockpit dimensions are almost identical. Yeah, think about that. The seven L is still technically living today. No kidding. That is that is really cool. A little bit of aviation yeah. history for you there. Hey, that's your random aviation fact of the, of the day. Of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, on the tail end of that, before we go off on an extreme tangent with that, because we can go down a rabbit hole really well with that. What favorite events, if you have one like an airship, whatever, or like a low like a different location outside of general airport spotting? Have you done, or, or do you enjoy? Um, well, my my favorite one is definitely the um, the goodbye that I got to give um, one of my best friends and my mentor, um, Captain Ted Oris. We planned a um, helicopter for his final flight, and uh, that that definitely that was definitely takes it as my uh, my favorite experience around the airport. Just real quick, I don't know if that was going to be your spotting story, but um, just real quick, can you just give us like a little background on that and kind of how you made that happen, if if you want? Yeah, so um, that was so it started earlier that summer when when Captain Ted um, told me he was retiring and he told me not to tell anybody that he didn't want a retirement party or anything. And we're in the midst of the pandemic, so we couldn't really have a goodbye for him. And I was um, just starting up school, so I wasn't able to fly. And um, I felt horrible that I wasn't gonna be able to be there for my best, one of my best friends and my mentor as he took to the skies one final time and that I was never gonna get to fly behind him. And so while I didn't get to um, fly behind him, I wanted to um, surprise him with a goodbye. And he'd always wanted to do a helicopter with me or get um, photographed um, in a helicopter. And so I got all his final flight information and I drove up a few hours um, from Atlanta to Raleigh, where I had planned a helicopter, and it ended up that he got delayed in um, 
I think it was Birmingham. There was a there was severe weather that weekend down south. I think it was a tail end of a hurricane that came through, and so we were worried that we weren't able we we're going to get them. Um, and then I got a flat tire on the way to the airport, so I almost missed the shoot entirely after driving up all those hours to get him. And then we ended up that it was perfect. It was right in the golden hour, and then the cloud it started clouding over. And um, Captain Ted didn't didn't still didn't even know that we were doing this. And I was kind of texting him throughout the day. I was like, "Oh, I'm going to track you on flight radar. I'm get some screenshots and post on my story." And um, he had no idea. And then when we got up over the airport, I texted him, and I just told him to look up and wave. And he was like, "What?" And he looked up, and sure enough, I was I was up there in the helicopter taking pictures of him. And he didn't really fully get what was what was going on, but we got um, we got pictures of him pushing back and got him waving from the cockpit. And then um, he sort of did a uh, a wing wave on departure. He um, his his final departure he got a heading um that was to the left of um the runway and so he did a perfect little wave as he as he departed one last time and i think that's where the photo of the um first officer actually waving as he as ted was the one who was flying on the on the left side um so his his pilot was on the right side his co-pilot was on the right side and um got we got pictures of him waving as he uh as they took off one final time and and it ended up that um, the delay was perfect and the clouds broke for maybe 30 seconds and he took off in a beautiful golden hour and we got that shot that I think quite a few people have seen by now and that was that was definitely my most special moment in aviation so far and then getting to the ground and getting to send him the pictures and him being completely surprised that we had set that all up with his good friend and that you could hear us on um hear us on atc and hear the surprise in his voice when he asked us if that was ryan up there so yeah definitely definitely the most uh memorable and special experience that i've gotten around the airport that is so special and you just going out of your way to do something like that for for captain ted i mean uh, i mean it's only shared by southwest social media i mean it's like how much bigger can you get like that and, you know especially like, they, they even show you the of uh, the the photo of like he printed out and stuff like that and um i mean i didn't realize that he had no idea this was happening i completely thought that it, it was completely like said like, everybody knew this was going to happen i didn't realize he had no idea that was going on yeah, so yeah, he had no idea that it was coming, and we completely surprised him. And he was like, "Wait, we t- I told you not to do anything special," and um, it ended up being super cool. And um, um, and no one even picked up on it actually at first. It was a super special experience, um, and obviously didn't do it for the for Instagram or something. I, I just did it for him, um, and I I just shared the experience because you know I enjoyed it. Um, and then a few months later, like four months later, um, in at the end of November, I posted it on Twitter. I had just gotten to Twitter, and it blew up on Twitter. It got like four thousand retweets. Um, I think that's what they're called. Um, I'm still new to Twitter, and um, <laughs> and that's that's where the story blew up. And then Fox News and CNN and USA Today were asking to do interviews all of a sudden, and that's that's when the story kind of broke on what was happening and kind of just a fun feel-good story to end the year out but yeah that was uh that was definitely a special experience a year of doom and gloom and just melancholy with covid that that i think really made a difference uh not just for captain ted but for a lot of other people like you know that's 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 really feel good in aviation, and the aviation industry really needed to feel good after this after last year. Like that was uh, that wasn't fun. It was brutal. It was it, it sucked to be honest. But you know that, that was a really good feel good story. Um, I'm so glad that, that that happened, and I'm so glad that 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 made national headlines like it should have. And that's just so amazing that that you that you did that for for a friend like that. And, Man, that's so awesome, dude. I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just speechless with that story, hearing it from from you. But that's pretty awesome. Actually, you know what? 
what uh, what is like another spotting story? Um, I mean, you have the Captain Ted one, but do you have a do you have another like special special event or kind of something that really uh, is really close to you um, that you would like like to share with the list of listeners out there? Um, I I think I've shared both of them. Um, getting to do my first um, my first professional photo shoot with um, United Airlines that was a really special moment. Getting my first um, my first repost with an airline that was really cool and then getting to line up the um the 787 dreamliners down in lax with united airlines we lined up the 787 8 9 and 10 they hired me for that shoot um brought me out there we were taking pictures of the new polaris business class and then also of the um of the 787 family members lined up and then we worked with boeing a little bit for that and then um, getting to do um, a, a photo shoot of behind the scenes with Fly Nyon and getting to give away a helicopter ride. That was another really special one. But I there's there's been so many special stories out there, and those are just to name a few of my favorite. I think um, I've been lucky enough to experience some pretty special things. But yeah, those were uh, those were two of the favorite. And I guess um, there I was tipped off about the Delta um, MD80 send off. Um, from a friend at Delta Airlines and we stayed up we knew when the schedule was updating and when the flight was going to come out and we stayed up the entire night um, we, we were up till 4 a.m. and refreshing every five minutes and it finally got released and we got we all got seats on the MD-90 which happened to probably be the final MD-90 flight with passengers ever um, and that yeah. was that was a really special experience and of course I would have loved to be on a final 747 too, um, but being on the final flight of a type that will never fly passengers again was no. Knowing you're the last person to ever sit in that seat was a special, special, um, special experience. And then I also got to shoot the um, American MD80 send off um, where we went. I was on the media flight shooting for American Airlines that day and flying from flying a MD80 from Dallas to Roswell on it was I believe. August, September 4th, September 3rd, um, 2019. (laughs) We like to refer to it as like the day that the world was never the same. Everything went downhill after the MD-80 send off. That's very accurate. After American MD-80, that was the last the time the world was normal and we need to bring them back and the world will turn to normal. But yeah, that was another really special experience. So... American, if you're listening, you know what we need to do. Bring them back. Not not just for aviation geeks, because God, it's not us to want them back. It's the world will be a right place. But dude, that the Delta MD90, I couldn't I I tried so hard to be on that flight. The reason is is when I worked for a contractor in Boise, we used to get the MD90 every night from Minneapolis. And I took so many photos of that aircraft. I have video of me pushing out the MD90. I have actually um, Airliners World offered me a, a cover photo for their um, for the MD90 or for the Delta Mad Dog retirement. They wanted to use one of the night shots. I had like a complete night shot lit up, lit oh. head on head on view, clean. The issue was is um, I, I can't really because conflict of interest inside the fence. You know, I don't work for that company anymore. It's just still I, I this, for me that's that's an ethics line I'm not going to cross. But I have so many photos of that Mad Dog. And I'm, it was so sad because I remember the last Mad Dog that I worked, I brought in, and I was like, it's a very bittersweet moment. You know, a lot of people never really liked working the Mad Dogs because of how the bins were. I didn't mind it at all. I, I enjoyed every moment I worked in MD-90. Actually, we had we, we got the 90s because it was a distance, so they rather used the B-2500s, so the JTADs on them. They actually subbed in an 88 one night. And... I was like, holy crap, you know, an act, like, I mean, the mad, I mean, the MD-90 is a mad dog, but the ones with the JTADs are the mad dog. And oh, that was such a great night. I was drooling over that airplane, man. I, I think I might need to, I see, I got to go back so I can find my photos. If we pulled the jet bridge back that night to, to move it, but I, I need, might do a comparison photo with the MD-90 head on, the MD-88 head on. I think I need to, I think I need to do that. Maybe <laughs> stay, stay, stay tuned, listener. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there were there were some rumors I heard that some cargo companies wanted to buy them as freighters. I believe some of the MD-88s will be getting a new life, but um, they were ferried to Victorville. I believe there's some sort of deal with the lease backs on uh, the lease on with Boeing. Um, so I'm not sure if they're getting a new life. I heard rumors about that too. So I'm not sure if they're getting a new life or it, it's just a movement of retirement. But either way, it was it's cool to see them moving out again. Yeah, it'd be cool to see like an Everett's MD-90. That'd be really cool. That would be really cool. Actually, you know, speaking of Everts, while you're up in Alaska, did you get shots of the DC-6? I did get shots of the DC-6. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get any pictures of them flying. Um, they were not flying the day that I was. I was moving. They usually fly early up in the more early in the mornings, and I was up in the um, late evening, um, just due to the, the sunset and the, all the 747s moving, which were my main goal on that trip. Um, but I did get some um, Everts MD-80s, and I got the Everts MD-80 prototype, which was kind of a cool thing. It was an ex-American Airlines MD-80. So that was kind of a cool experience, um, but we did get the, a picture of the M, uh, DC-6. It was just on the ground. They were doing some maintenance on it. So getting a picture of an MD-80 next to a DC-6, two generations of Douglas, um, only 30 years apart, I believe, 35 years apart. So a, another unique picture that I have. Wow, I, I don't wow. think I posted that, but um, definitely a cool comparison for an AV geek. Man, those, dude, Douglas built them right, and those Douglas here, the DC-3 will go on to be 100 years. Easy. The hands down. The DC-3, variants of the MD-80 will. Um, what's actually cool is I got that same Everest uh, MD-83 in Boise, actually. Came up, oh, no taking way. Oil. Yeah, I was doing, it had an oil, it was oil uh, taking oil equipment from Texas, had a fuel stop in Boise, and was going to Fairbanks. Um, that was that was really cool. I remember that night, too. <laughs> that was It was cold. It was rainy and cold that night, but this, the clouds broke just at the right time, so I got a really cool ramp shot over. But anyway, dude. It's so awesome that you are able to do all this. And uh, just a couple last questions is what tips or words of encouragement do you have for the listener out there? Yeah, um, I would say just finding the unique unique angle. It's really not about your camera equipment. Um, I think finding unique angles um, to take pictures of airplanes, whether it's through the fence, um, from above, right next to them, inside them, just using your using your different um, backgrounds to whether it's the snow um, or, or really anything, just being creative with what you do um, and using finding a community out there. I know it was super cool to find an aviation community online, um, especially on Instagram and stuff. But yeah, just keep to it. Um, learn learn how to edit. Learn Lightroom and Photoshop, and um, just keep at it. Yeah, simple as that. You know, try new angles, try different things, do hard things. You know, make it make it work. It'll pay off in the future. One last couple of questions before we really start wrapping up here is: um, Where can a listener find your work? Uh, you talk about airliners and jet photos and stuff. Well, airliners mainly, sorry. Um, but there's also a certain other Instagram that people might know you from. So uh, let's yeah, take it away, man. Yeah, you can probably find me um, on on Instagram as Diecast Ryan. Um, there's a long, long, long story behind that where the username comes comes from. But I also have a website, Ryan Patterson Photography, where I also have a um, um, profile on uh, on airliners. That I think R Flyer is the is the uh, username on there. So yeah, you can find me on either one of those, and I try to post uh, post daily on uh, Diecast Ryan. So um, come join me on there. Absolutely. And real quick, what is the story behind Diecast Ryan? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I always enjoy explaining it. Um, but so I actually started taking pictures of um, model airplanes, and that's where the aviation account started. Um, so Diecast Ryan comes from the Diecast model airplanes that I used to collect when I was younger. Um, and I, I no longer have a model airport, but I used to have a model airport, and I used to take pictures of them. We, we wouldn't travel that much. Um, and I loved being around aviation, so I, I always wanted to be posting pictures of it, and I didn't have that many since I hadn't had a camera for that long. And so um, I had a model airport with like little, uh, little Gemini jets and Phoenix models airplanes that I used to collect, and we would I would take pictures of pictures of those, and I I put it up on Instagram, and that's 
that's how I spent my first two, two and a half years on Instagram. And then um, when I started getting into um, photography and um, eventually aerial photography, that's when I slowly phased it out. But I, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't never change the name. So that's where Diecast Ryan comes from. That's pretty awesome, man, as you can't ever stop aviation and love for aviation. So if I scroll back through all your 2000 photos on Instagram, I might be able to find the original Diecast Ryan photos in. <laughs> you will definitely be able to find the original Diecast Ryan photos. They end, the originals end in around 2016, but um, yeah, there's, um, you'll see a big change in the work. I guess it's kind of, <laughs> I've kind of grown up with this account. It's one of the only things that stayed the same through the past seven years now that i've i've had the account so um yeah it's there you can scroll back a while and you uh should find some uh, model airplane photos yeah if you scroll back online and you might see some really crappy photos from <laughs> oh there's some pretty crappy photos on mine too some lots of uh lots of uh air iphone photos we have to start somewhere and you know we've all started there and we all you know, exactly. it's, it's gonna happen you know people out there thinking it won't happen well you're gonna hone your skills you're gonna hone your camera gear, you're gonna learn how to edit and you know you're gonna be as good as him one day as ryan one day uh, if not better so anyway guys i hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the aviation spotters podcast and as always guys if you know anybody who you think you would want would Love to come talk aviation with me here on the ABSP. You guys know how to reach me. Uh, shoot me a DM on Twitter at BOI Spotter, Instagram at BOI Spotter. Uh, send us an email, aviation at spotterspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, check out the Facebook page, guys. Um, shoot me a message on there if that's easier for you. Also, please remember we are up on YouTube. All uh, episodes will be up on YouTube. Uh, they're not really that fancy, but they're up there on YouTube. So if you know anybody who doesn't have the normal means of listening to the podcast and they do have YouTube, please, please, please point them to uh, the YouTube channel. Um, that is a great tool for people who don't have a lot of the ways to listen to like like, like some people do. And uh, also, guys, use the hashtags, hashtag Aviation Spotters Podcast and hashtag AppSpottersPod. I'm looking, you guys use those hashtags on your photos or other people's photos. That gives me a good way to uh, to see who's out there and see who we can uh, get on next on the show. But anyway, um, that's going to do it for me here on another episode of the AVSP. Uh, Ryan, did anything else to add before we uh, sign her off? No, thank you very much for having me. And uh, I look forward to interacting with you guys on, uh, on Instagram or um, on my website. Awesome. And uh, Ryan, just real quick, I want to take a moment to thank you again. Uh, you're an amazingly humble and kind person uh, taking the time to do this. And I, I really, really, really do appreciate it. And thank you so much for just being a, a super, super nice and humble guy. And that's going to do for me here on another episode of the Aviation Spotters podcast. And as always, keep those batteries charged and those cameras ready. We'll catch you on another episode of the Aviation Spotters Podcast.